What are some of the common mistakes that organizations make which lead to data breaches? Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor with Information Security Media Group. And to help me discuss current data breach trends, I'm speaking with Chris Novak, Director of Global Investigative Response at Verizon. Chris, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. You've just released a report, and that's talking about data breach trends. Tell me more, please. Sure. So this is actually our second uh, installment of the Data Breach Digest, and folks can download that and read it. It's kind of a companion report to if people have read the Data Breach Investigations Report that we put out on an annual basis now going for about a decade. This report really gives people kind of the inside view of what happens during a case. So kind of think of it as kind of a behind the scenes look into an investigation or in fact last year what we termed it was the risk team ride along. If you were to ride along in the cop car with the police and see all the things that maybe don't make it into a formal report but it's a lot of the nitty gritty details that kind of help you understand what everybody goes through during a breach. That's what the Data Breach Digest is really intended to show, all those things that don't necessarily show up in the stats. And so ideally someone would be looking at this and identifying gaps in their own preparation and response capabilities? Correct, that as well as also, I think it helps explain the why we either do what we do or need to do what we do from a security perspective because a lot of organizations use the Data Breach Investigations Report or the DBIR to help kind of drive what their security roadmap looks like. The Data Breach Digest really kind of helps tell the story of why that's important. And the intent here is to not necessarily focus on all the technical bits and bytes, but to make it such that everybody can consume it. So our expected audience for the Data Breach Digest is all of the end users, all the executives, the board of directors, so that everyone can kind of get a sense of what's happening. And the theme of this year's Data Breach Digest is actually called Perspective is Reality. And we took a different approach, whereas most everything you see, in fact, including even our publications in the past, have always generally been from the investigator's perspective. And so we said, you know what, let's kind of take a different approach and kind of strike up a different conversation. Let's get perspectives from other folks like human resources, um, legal counsel, as well as the investigators and other folks that are involved. Because we realize that, you know, we go out and we tell folks that everybody needs to be involved with security and the incident response and investigative process. But a lot of people don't have a way to kind of harmonize that with their own roles in the organization. How do they fit into that bigger picture? And so this, we hope, also helps, you know, someone from HR can pick it up and read that particular chapter and say, I can relate to this. This sounds just like what I deal with on a regular basis. And so a lot of organizations will have learned those lessons the hard way. Obviously, they will have had an investigation after a breach and said, oh, these are things we should have been doing. So the intention Correct. is to help those who haven't yet fallen on their face. And, and I mean, maybe even to some degree help those that have been, but maybe didn't fully learn the lessons. You know, we see organizations that have repeat incidents because maybe they just aren't mature enough to get a good grasp of what actually happened, why it happened. A lot of times what we find is the problems that organizations have from a security perspective are usually very foundational. You know, and, and I tell people that it's, you know, it's interesting. So I was just talking with someone about this the other day, the fact that, you know, in most cases when we make recommendations to organizations on what they should be doing to either prevent it from happening again or prevent it from happening in the first place if they, if they haven't been through something, and the majority of those recommendations are not buy more stuff. Usually it's policy, process, education, awareness, bringing your people into the process. Because when you look at most organizations, the IT department, the IT security department, it's a small fraction of the headcount that makes up that company. 
but yet everyone has to have a role in security. So that educational awareness, the policy, the process, the testing, the training, all of that is key. And we find that that's a big part of the recommendations that we're making to organizations, both breached and, and those that are trying to prepare and prevent. Sounds more difficult than just buying a tool, though. It is. And I think, honestly, that's probably one of the reasons why organizations face some of those same challenges over and over again. Because, I mean, I'll encounter it where an organization will come and say, we hear you, but you know what? We think if we spend $50,000 on this, that might help us too. And then they may be calling me back again in a couple of months saying, hey, we have another problem and we need help. And, and a lot of it comes back to, it's kind of interesting, but some of the best intelligence that we get about how a breach happens, we get during the investigative process interviewing employees. And a lot of times the employees will tell us, I saw this or I saw that. It was suspicious. It was anomalous. It was unusual, but I didn't do anything about it. And interestingly enough, a lot of times the answer they'll give us is, I just assumed IT saw it. So I didn't escalate it to anybody. I didn't report it. I didn't forward that email to anybody. And so as a result, these things, that's how they propagate for so long. You know, when you look at things like our DBIR and you see the average time it takes for a breach to be discovered, it's on the order of, you know, six to eight to nine months. And that's only because organizations either aren't aware or they don't know what they're looking for. Aside from failing to step back, have a good solid look at security processes, procedures, and how beyond just using tools, organizations can help get ahead of this data breach problem. What else do you see that organizations aren't doing that they should be doing more of? Sure. A couple of things. So one is, and in fact, it's interesting because I was actually just talking to someone about this earlier about how much we collectively, the we, have improved and have we improved? And I said, you know, looking at the data over the course of the last decade, I truly believe that it is improving, but the problem is the gap was so big 10 years ago, even if we've closed it a little bit, it's still very big today. But there's a couple of key things that I always come back to. One is I'm always recommending folks get multi-factor authentication, two-factor something, because the biggest challenge we see is that about 90% or so of these situations we're seeing have a phishing component or some form of social engineering component to them. And so we find that that lines up with credential theft. We go out and we do research on the, the deep web or the dark net. We find that one of the biggest things that these actors are buying, selling, and trading are credentials. And it's because organizations don't have multi-factor authentication rolled out. It makes it trivial to get in. Um, and so that's also why I say sometimes the tools aren't necessarily the only thing you need because if someone accidentally gives up their credential, that login looks legit. Um, and so that's a big piece of it is the multi-factor and having it rolled out everywhere because that's another challenge we see organizations face is they'll roll it out to 70% of their user base. Well, there's 30% then that's still exposed, right? And then the other thing also that I tell folks is, this one goes back to what I was mentioning before, going back to the early days of the data breach investigations report. We had a section in there called the unknown unknowns. And interestingly enough, despite the fact that that's 10 years old, it's just as relevant today as it was then. And that is organizations don't know what assets they have, where they have them, and where their data is. And it's not that I go in and they say, oh, we didn't realize we had financial data. You know, if, a, if it's a bank, they know they have it. The issue that we usually find is they don't know where they have it, on what systems they have it, how long they have it. You know, they know of the couple of pockets that they think of immediately when it comes to mine, but it's all these secondary and tertiary systems. Or even better, organizations that go through a lot of merger and acquisition activity, tremendous amount of technology overlap. And so what we'll find is we'll go in, we'll look at their asset inventory, and what we'll find is they're missing hundreds, if not thousands, or in some cases, I've actually seen breach situations where we went in and we identified 30 plus thousand assets that that victim didn't even realize they had. 
Now, it's not that they bought them by accident and didn't know they bought them. It's they acquired companies over time who had poor asset inventory, and that problem just kind of multiplies over time. And so as a result, you know, I, I kind of describe it as it's a hacker's playground or a hacker's paradise inside of every organization. And it's a question of how big is your hacker's playground? Is it one system? Is it 100 systems? Is it 10,000 systems? Because these are these little havens that you create that when the hacker gets in, they can do whatever they want. Because if you don't know the assets are there, then you don't know that the hackers are there. And it gives them free reign to move around the environment and do whatever they please. As an incident response firm that gets brought in to investigate breaches, you probably see things that a lot of other people wouldn't ever know about, providing there wasn't customer data involved if it's a US breach. True. What we have coming up in Europe is the GDPR. Of course. How do you think that is going to change the concept of data breaches outside the US and our understanding of what the baseline of breaches might be? Are things much worse than anyone might suspect? Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because my, my perception of it has been that despite the fact the GDPR is going to be mostly European focused, basically every organization I talk to is basically taking the approach of this is the new norm and it's going to be something that they plan to I don't know if I want to say implement or align with globally. A lot of the organizations we work with are multinational. And so for them, they look at it and say, GDPR governs this. But the reality of it is we're probably just going to wrap it around the globe and use it as our new baseline everywhere, either expecting that other parts of the world where they do business are going to follow suit, or it's just going to be easier to have one common standard and not have to worry about managing a multitude of different standards. So I think it's going to create a tremendous amount of consternation and and kind of upset in the industry as folks really kind of try to find out exactly how best to interpret it. Chris, thanks very much for your insights today. My pleasure. We've been talking data breaches and incident response with Chris Novak of Verizon. I'm Matthew Schwartz with Information Security Media Group. Thanks very much for joining us.